What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another look at what's going on in pop culture this week. My name is Patchy and joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you feeling today, man? Doing well, man. It's still Dre Day. How about that? All yeah. these years later. Yeah, okay. We're going to be talking about the Super Bowl halftime show, which uh, I, I heard a lot of different responses to, so I'm excited to dig into that. We've got a couple of musical projects. We have a Disney Plus Star Wars series that just wrapped up. So we're going to be reviewing that in a couple of movies as well. So hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and uh, give us a five star rating on Spotify. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, Dave. I mean, I loved the Super Bowl halftime show. I think this might be top three of our lifetime. You know, the other two that come to mind for me are you two. Uh, in 2002, very powerful performance right after the uh, attacks on the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And then Prince, obviously, yes. also comes to mind. But, man, this is definitely right up there with those. You loved it as well? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Just spectacular, just a bunch of undeniable songs right in a row. Seeing a lot of people you like. Uh, I don't know what there was to dislike about it, to be honest. I thought everybody brought it. And that was really cool to see from uh, a bunch of older artists, you know, in the mix here, apart from like Kendrick and Anderson Bach, everyone else is pretty old, uh, you know, for, for hip hop standards. So yeah, I I thought they did a great job. The set design was really impressive, you know, for the broadcast and also intentional for the LA of it all. And the whole idea of this halftime show going in LA Super Bowl, brand new stadium, LA team, even playing there on top of that, to then have an LA based act such as Dr. Dre and his subsequent friends uh, just made a lot of sense. And they really executed on it, I think in a uh, intelligent way. And yeah, they play a bunch of bangers, you know, tough to, tough to complain in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, Dre starts off behind the keyboard and, you know, moves to the piano at points and then takes center stage by the end. But I think what really worked about this is how seamlessly it mixed together all these different sounds, right? Going from Dre and Snoop's, you know, some nineties, even yeah. back in the eighties, hip hop sound to uh, G unit, to Mary J Blige to Kendrick Lamar to, uh, you know, Eminem circling back to all of them at the end. Just fucking awesome, dude. It, it ran together so well. And I got to say, like the the mixed reception I saw, it seems like it's a real like delineation between the real old heads who have been enjoying things like the Rolling Stones or Paul McCartney <laughs> in past or the Who in past years, yeah. and now it's like oh the 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 demographic we're going for here is staunchly that late twenties mid forties demographic for sure, and I uh-huh. think there's like a real delineation of like oh I don't like rap or this is what I grew up with and this is what is i guess old music now kind of crazy yeah that's that's pretty funny to think about because there's been a lot of hand wringing about how this is the first time a majority hip-hop halftime show has happened there have been rappers as guests at previous shows here and there rarely memorable moments uh just what two three years ago travis scott was at maroon five for example but i mean hip-hop has been the most popular force in pop music for such a long time 
that it truly was about time that they did this kind of halftime show. And on top of that, they just picked like a whole smattering of consummate professionals with, you know, diamond songs and, and such popularity that it's really tough to, you know, I feel like nitpick it too much because like in the club by 50 cent, yeah. you know, they still play that in clubs. It's not like that's like some like relic of the past, even though it's a 20 year old song, you know, like I feel like yeah. a lot of these songs are largely still in rotation. Oh, completely. I mean, there wasn't one song on there that I felt was like a, a deep pull, you know, and I guess for me, uh, Mary J. Blige is probably my biggest blind spot out of all these discographies but i still know i still knew the song she was singing um right. so i i thought i thought this was pretty much perfect i did like that kendrick uh just stay true to himself stay true to his like weirdness <laughs> with mm. uh all the dancers having like the same costume and having yes. like some weird like choreography around it um really just want to get new music from him i also just thought snoop dogg doing the crip walk on yeah. the biggest stage in like LA. pop culture was just like fuck yeah just uh, amazing stuff from snoop dogg all the way around any moments that really stood out to you yeah there's a few uh i'd say right off the bat you know dre at the board stands up and uh going into the next episode and they do like a, a quick cut and for the first time you see snoop dogg all in frame all by himself with this big smile it's just perfect yeah. it's a perfect switch uh and then they just go go from there obviously 50 cent was a surprise uh <laughs> upside down 50 cent of course nods to the in the club <laughs> video but really cool to see 50 cent and anderson pock on the drums later there because they completed like the the infinity gauntlet of dr dre's post nwa career like everyone significant to aftermath records and dr dre was at this show performing with him it's like really cool that they had something so specific like this and yeah. that, I think that's what's so cool about it, you know. Um, at the end, when everyone uh, comes back out for Still Dre, uh, you know, and everyone else is ad-libbing still while Snoop and Dre are actually doing the song, I thought that was really sick. Even before that, you cut back with, to um, Mary and 50 just, like, vibing on the couch and, like, perfect unison. Like, just so, so much stuff like that, I feel like, just was really cool. I, I've rewatched it a few times now on YouTube. I think, I think it really, you know, really, really hits. And anecdotally, actually, people at SoFi Stadium apparently were like super loud and super into this. And, you know, usually the halftime show is not the best thing to watch when you're actually there. It's obviously a TV first event, but uh, it seemed to really be hitting for people in L.A., which I guess makes some sense. Yeah, pretty much every like celebrity that you saw at the game was just absolutely losing their mind to it. Really cool stuff. Uh, definitely one of my favorite halftime shows like i said where does it rank for you yeah definitely one of my favorite um it's been the best in a long time uh, i did it the jlo shakira one two years ago it's pretty pretty good as well um that's true good performance i also like hey. lady gaga yeah i love the lady gaga one that's probably my th that and lady gaga and trey are probably my favorite two of the last 10 years i'd say um the gaga jumping off the stadium image will last in my brain forever so yeah shout out to gaga oh yeah oh yeah um you know a lot's been made about um uh what lines were and were not said eminem taking a knee at the end of lose yourself holding it for a while obviously colin kaepernick um dre does say uh 
still don't uh, still don't like the police during Still Dre. However, Kendrick does not say we hate Popo from all rights. Some mixed reporting on whether the NFL approved this or knew it was coming. You know, seeing kind of both angles being pushed out there. Not really sure where we're landing on that, but I think it was kind of cool actually to see Eminem take the knee. Obviously, the person who is most uh, capable of taking this kind of uh, PR hit, quote unquote, you know, face the least amount of backlash, obviously, for who he is. And then immediately have Dre go into the piano of uh, Iron Matacha, the Tupac song, and just thinking about like Tupac himself and how he, what he kind of represented in a similar vein. Uh, there's just a lot of like subtle details, I think, to this, this kind of show, to the set design, the sequencing of things that I think uh, you kind of make it like bigger than just a, normal, a normal show. And even if it was just a normal show, that was fun. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But uh, I just think that there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of memorable stuff there. I've been thinking for a while, like, is Eminem going to do any of his songs he actually has with Dre? A lot of really classic songs, Forgot About Dre, Guilty Conscious, What's the Difference, Crack a Bottle. Of course, you can't do any of these songs because they're all so explicit. And of course, he doesn't do the Forgot About Dre verse, even though that's a great verse. (laughs) It is such a good verse. Um, So just one more thing I wanted to throw in there in terms of like the the controversy or whatever. Apparently, they asked Snoop Dogg not to like wear a bandana, a blue bandana out. And he just wore his entire outfit being a blue bandana. That's why Snoop Dogg (laughs) is just like the absolute uh, 100% approval rating in my mind. Yeah. Also, like he, he he hit some weed right before he went on, yeah. and my response is, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, he's a performer. Also, he's doing what he's got to do to be ready. Also, it's legal in California, so like, yeah. who cares, man? Snoop Dogg not smoking weed before a performance is just like he, you just shouldn't go yeah. to that. It's not going to be good. But um, yes, Snoop is fifty. Dre is fifty-six. They both were incredible. Like incredible, so good. So uh, Super Bowl is in Arizona next year. Any uh, any guesses for the halftime show? Injury reserve, baby. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just go super niche next year. I love that. Um, um, I was thinking about that. Jay-Z, you never know. He might finally say yes one day. He's turned down before, but he's kind of been in tandem with the NFL helping plan things. So maybe he will do it one day. Maybe his connection might have rihanna do it one day who's to say but i feel like those two taylor and adele are kind of like the obvious people that have never done this before after that i don't know if anyone like super jumps to mind like i feel like ed sheeran that's a peg down i feel like drake even's kind of a peg down from that group yeah i think we maybe would see something like the carters um, if, uh, I don't think we're gonna get Rihanna next year just because of the pregnancy announcement. I doubt she'll be touring or, or performing it by that point. Or, so, right. yeah, I think T Swift or the Carters would probably be my guess. But it's it's tough to say. I mean, they might just go some like old ass band again. So, yep. I mean, Beyonce doing it a third time. I don't know. I kind of bet against that to be honest. Or, uh, you know, she did it one and a half times, I guess. But she was the most memorable part of. Coldplay so um <laughs> you got a big yeah. approval rating yeah I mean, it's possible though. I mean you gotta remember they yeah. don't get paid for this so that's true does Beyonce need any more exposure I don't know yeah I don't know either well let's move on to a Tuesday music drop that we were able to cover this week 
excuse me, uh, Treasure, the K-pop band, uh, dropping the, the next step, chapter one. Was it the second step? No, chapter, chapter two. Chapter two, sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, we, we reviewed a couple of these. Uh, sorry, no, it, this is, it's the second step, chapter one. Oh, the second step. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I read that wrong the first time. I'll be honest, um, I don't love these titles. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of the titles either, but uh, a decently, I, I enjoyed the music, I say. We've covered mm-hmm. quite a few of these K-pop releases now, and I, I feel like some of them can sound a little samey, so to have something that like jumps out and makes this, you know, the band sound unique is always kind of what I'm looking for. I'm wondering, did you hear anything in the second step chapter one that you felt like set treasure apart from the other K-pop groups out there. Yeah, I definitely heard some stuff. I think it's primarily on the production side of things that helps elevate treasure relatively new K-pop boy group, the newest YG K-pop boy group. First one they've YG has had since icon like seven years ago. It's been a while. Obviously, YG has been all about Blackpink right now, and there's been little else happening really from them. They announced Big Bang is coming back eventually, but this has kind of been like their 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 other project apart from Blackpink. And if you go, you know, look look up their music, even after this, uh, uh, you know, new release again, they still only have like 12, 15 songs total out. Kind of like how Blackpink have been doing it. Slow, methodical drips of new music. I mean, before that first album came out, beginning of 2021, they had released three two-song EPs or single albums, as they're called. Really slow. Uh, and me, I feel like to me, kind of a, maybe a little confusing to connect with a group when there's such little music out because Treasure is 12 members deep. You know, taking a page out of the uh, NCT playbook over at, at SM. So, uh, listening to Treasure, and I've listened to everything leading up to this new drop as well, just trying to like find a way to connect with the music because there's so many voices and it's really hard to, to, to pick up on uh, who you're listening to if you're not trying to like read the lyrics or like, or watch videos and try and, you know, piece things together in your head as, as a non, you know, Korean speaker. And I think for me, it was the production that kind of stood out to me and elevated some of these songs uh, across their whole discography to this point. So, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about Espa recently. Espa, I feel like they, they, they almost stood out to me because for their like, their like avatar narratives and like their whole like metaverse thing they were trying to do through their music. But I think for, for, for Treasure for me, it was, it was the, the production, particularly like a really distinct electronic production like this bumping thumping bass even on some of like the quieter songs of these these four new songs there's still uh i think a heavy heavy electronic uh, production throughout which kind of stood out to me and kind of kept the music lively yeah absolutely i i think you kind of hit the nail on the head for me of what i liked about the second step chapter one is oftentimes i think coming to these k-pop artists i'm looking for the absolute bangers you know the songs that are just like energy start to finish right and treasure kind of brings a little bit of both a little bit more of the softer side and then brings in that thumping electronic house bass a lot of the time 
to really drive the energy through the middle of the song and then we'll drop back down to a little softer and bring it back up and that happens a few times on here like a song like you or mm-hmm. right after it uh dari dari or dari ari or it's okay Dar- kind of right did i say that wrong sorry D- darari i think it was Dar-ari. darari yeah yeah something yeah, like that <laughs> darari um and then it's okay. They, they're all kind of similar in the structure, but it all really worked for me. And uh, I was surprised that I liked the softer side of it so much, especially because a lot of the time, especially not really uh, not understanding the language at all. I'm just kind of like, these vocals sound good, but I, is this good? Is this not? But I just found it to, to be like really enjoyable to listen to. So I was impressed yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, the the banger of these four. There's always there's always the K-pop banger on the drop. This one is a uh, uh, Jik Jin, which has me's video out today, and that one you know kind of has like really like noticeable like horn production, really like heavy drums. But I agree. I, I feel like the the softer stuff that followed probably stuck with me more than the song that's usually kind of intended to be the the lead single, the, the banger, if you will. So. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, I think, to have that experience with a, a K-pop release. So, like I said, there's not a lot of treasure music out. I didn't like these songs as much as some of the songs I had liked to this point. I think uh, Bling Like This, which was in the second set of songs they released in 2020. I feel like that song, just super catchy, like chorus, the, the breakdown on that outro is like really cool. And that's the song where I would point to for like that really thumping high tempo electronic production. So I didn't quite get what I like about that song on this new music, but you can still kind of see the through line. So hopefully uh, YG wants to push these guys out uh, a little more, you know, like on social media, it was like the, the treasure comeback, the treasure comeback. And it had only been one year, but the comeback is still only four songs. Like I, I just wish they would do more, you know, yeah. they never seemed to do <laughs> Dave, I gotta say, there's a moment on this that I thought you were just going to totally love, and it's uh, at the beginning of you. You know, they have this like soft piano-driven buildup, and then there's a moment when I'm not sure who who is uh, the band members, obviously, but they're like, "I want you," and then it like comes <laughs> in with like the thumping like bass, and I was like, "This yeah. is a Charlie Puth song right here. Like, this is something uh, your guy Puth would totally have uh, made himself in the lab on TikTok." So interesting. Uh, definitely had said some of those vibes for me. We'll probably throw one of these tracks on to our Nostalgia Best of 2022. So follow that playlist on Spotify. We're going to uh, switch gears and move into the hip-hop sphere where Snot, dollar sign not, uh, dropping, uh, I guess this is his third studio album, technically. Um, But uh, he's had some other projects, been around since about 2016, probably know him from gasha a couple uh what was that two years back three years back now yeah the first album um so he's been around for a little bit this is the first time i remember like really digging into a full album of his uh, yeah. ethereal and i gotta say it was a bit of a mixed bag for me there's some stuff on here that i think really really works and then there's some moments that i just kind of was left scratching my head a bit how did you feel listening to ethereal yeah so coming in this is the first time He's actually released something since I've been aware of him. The last two albums are both in 2020. And two songs off the second 2020 album, Beautiful Havoc, two songs off that I really, really like. Like Me with Ian Dior and Mean with Flo Millie. 
and both those songs i think have like the the textbook like like appeal of snot on them which is just a fucking catchy ass rap flow like he just finds a way to i think hit with these like kind of bangers but still mixing in some like melodic stuff but man i feel like some of his flows are just super super fun was really interesting to compare to some of his bigger songs like you said gosha or moon and stars he's definitely dabbling in the softer stuff as well so coming into ethereal you listen to this and you get kind of all that stuff going on it shows his versatility shows his willingness to throw some darts but inevitably it's going to be up and down so there were some songs in this i really enjoyed and then there, and then there was some stuff that i you know did not care for at all um but he's definitely an artist i'm uh, paying attention to because I think just when he's sticking to the rapping, I think it's really fun. Yeah, I I agree. I think the songs I enjoyed more were the heavier songs, and we'll get to that in a second. But I think the reason I agree with you that he's an artist to watch is he definitely has a vision, and I think some of the stuff that we hear on this and some of the sound that he's trying it to like pull through as a through line on Ethereal. Um, is really admirable, you know, because it starts off with my world intro, which is like this like trancy looping kind of intro track. Not there's not really like I think much to talk about there, but it just kind of like lulls you in, and then immediately Doja starts. And Doja is just absolute heat, and I just was like, holy shit, this guy with ASAP Rocky just like ASAP comes in on, in like the coolest way ever, just kind of like somehow like it's like he almost like floated out of the beat. When, the way yeah. he drops in is it's incredible mixing. the whole the whole song i thought was absolutely great but then the next track blue moon with teddy jones is kind of what i didn't like about the album is when he goes softer when he tones it down more i'm just not as interested in the music yeah. but although i gotta say teddy jones sounded really good on that but yeah. uh i think that's like almost the epitome of like the album for me those first three tracks like when it's a song like doja i'm all in when it's a song like mm-hmm. blue moon i was like ah, yeah let's just get to the next one totally yeah i mean uh, doja just kind of remembers reminiscent for the sound of uh, florida soundcloud rap snot grew up in florida and blew up on soundcloud you don't really, don't really talk about soundcloud rap anymore it's largely fizzled out but that is exactly what you associate SoundCloud rap with, is that kind of song. Doja Cat did tweet, uh, in a way that suggests that he did not actually uh, fuck Doja Cat. Nevertheless, uh, I like the song. I also really like uh, the song after Blue Moon Go, because he switches back up yep. into dropping another hard hard song. And you know, I think the, the hook itself is kind of weak, but the, the flow kind of reminded me of Ski Mask the Slump God, actually. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. fun. And some of the wordplay on that, uh, I enjoy quite a bit. References to uh, Mrs. Frizzle and Malcolm in the Middle and yeah. whatnot. I, I appreciate that. No, I yeah, I completely agree. I thought Go stood out as well. Um, Benzo was another track yeah. where I just I loved that that beat, and he just rides that so well. Um, and there were, I guess, two moments where I thought like a more toned down song sounded good. The first one was I, I, I with Kevin Abstract. I did mm. I did enjoy that. I feel like him and Kevin have a nice back and forth on that. And then a yeah. couple songs later, Halle Berry with Juicy J. I mean, Juicy <laughs> J just sounds great. He just sounds like himself, you know, talking very explicit sexual stuff, and it works. So 
uh, th- those are like the two toned down tracks for me. But any others that you liked or you want to shout out? Yeah, I actually thought Trippy Red wasn't bad on alone. Probably a little better than Snot on that, though. Um, like, I know he can do the softer stuff because he's done it better, but I just don't think he like really does it as well as he's done it before on Ethereal. So, yeah, largely those songs kind of fade away. Uh, I wanted more from the Joey Badass feature, just given how, you know, rare those are. Didn't think it was anything special. Um, but yeah, uh, I mentioned Snot last year for XXL. I thought he was a surefire pick. They didn't pick him, uh, kind of surprisingly. Uh, maybe they'll pick him now. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think he's pretty interesting. I mean, his whole like, aesthetic, too, with always having like a hoodie with the drawstrings pulled and yeah. all his visuals and stuff. Like, I think there's just a lot of personality here that uh, I'm invested in. So I'm into it. Totally agree. Check out Ethereal from Snot. Uh, Dave, moving on to a, a musical group that's a little more seasoned than Snot. Spoon dropping their 10th album, mm. Lucifer on the sofa. Been, <laughs> been a little bit since we talked about Spoon. They, they put their music out at a pretty... Uh, normal clip you know like every two years they're usually dropping an album uh let's see when was the last hot thoughts 2017 last one yeah so the hot thoughts is about five years before that before that they were on like a four three year type Mm -hmm. thing so this is the biggest layoff but that's it seems covid related in terms of the rollout from what i read and uh i gotta say nice to have spoon back Hot Thoughts, not my favorite Spoon record, but if you go back and listen to our review, I, th- I think I really admired mm-hmm. uh, Britt Daniels and the band taking a, a shot at you know some more electronic sound and being a little bit looser in their sound. Spoon is really known for being such a tight band that just like every single string, every single chord is like perfectly placed. And they always seem like they're kind of on the edge of like losing it, but never actually lose it. Lucifer on the Sofa is more of a return to like old school spoon it feels like for me um they're still kind of keeping with a little bit of that electric sound at times like the title track i think is very similar to some of the stuff on they want my soul from 2014 but uh i think this is a a nice callback to some of their earlier stuff like gaga or give me fiction how did you feel about it yeah i liked it a lot uh just back to the basics blues rock for the most part it's (laughs) sounds great you know <laughs> drums are good the guitars are good they're going hard for the most part uh, i thought it was awesome uh the only time i really didn't enjoy it was at the end with astral jack and astral jack i thought that song was a little too quiet for me other than that i thought the whole whole track listing was pretty darn good and you know it doesn't overstay its welcome 38 minutes 10 tracks pretty quick but uh they're they're just strumming the whole time you know it it was quite enjoyable i think uh the devil and mr jones was my favorite song of the bunch but i really liked the whole thing yeah the devil and mr jones is a clear standout for me as well but i gotta say there's a couple of moments on this that i just really really loved i agree i think this is one of the strongest just like rock releases we've gotten in a long time and obviously we always talk about how there's really not that many good rock releases at all anymore um but even like satellite you know one of the later tracks there's like a moment at the end like basically with a minute left where they just they just like let the guitar rip and it fucking ripped dude and i was just like oh this is 
this is why rock music was so popular is you get moments like this where you're just totally entranced in the music. And I got to say, Britt Daniels is really still bringing it um, with, I, I think, his songwriting, but also just his vocal performance throughout. He's able to change up his his voice and kind of like goes from like the scathing, more like rough guttural sound to like a more like toned up sound. And it all works really well. Spoon is like Derek Jeter to me, dude, where it's like they put up a solid year every time that they put they decide to put out an album and you're you're mm-hmm. never like oh spoon like there's always like a band that like is more exciting but then you look at the numbers like oh yeah like by far one of the best bands of their generation just kind of under the radar so so what you're saying is loose from the sofa is when like old ass Derek jeter led the american league in hits in like 2012 or whenever that was that's what this is yeah probably <laughs> this is pretty high functioning you know for yeah. for 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 a 10th <laughs> album Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. Like when we listened to like the last Foo Fighters record, you know, <laughs> it was a lot fainter brace. Let's put it that way. You know, we, we were giving them a lot of credit for, you know, trying something, trying to become more dancey, which uh, Spoon mm-hmm. Spoon never compromises on who they are. And I feel like even the small risks that they take always feel like uh, earned and not like super outside the box, yeah. for it, which is nice. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, again, not a huge, big, not a huge Spoon fan, obviously, but like, They've had some lineup changes. They've jumped around record labels a lot, but you wouldn't know it by listening to Loose from the Sofa. I think that says something. So uh, I know you said uh, Mr. Jones on the uh, with the devil or whatever. Sorry, the devil and Mr. Track. Jones. Yes. Yes. Uh, what other tracks did you like specifically? Yeah, you said Satellite like that one. I also liked uh, The Hardest Cut, which I believe was an early yeah. single. Yeah. 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 I really like the whole thing's really good too. Yeah, I agree. I think if you like rock music, you kind of have to go check this one out and also check out our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. Dave, we were pretty excited for the Book of Boba Fett to come out, bring us a, a little like Mando, like, you know, like a teaser, like an appetizer until we can get to the next Mando season. Obviously, Pedro Pascal very popular actor now and uh doing a lot more stuff so scheduling conflicts are delaying a amando season three and so we're like ah you know we'll, we'll take this boba story you know and uh, our initial review was we're interested to see where the season goes mm. see how, how the tuscan stuff plays out see how this like underworld criminal tattooing yes. lifestyle plays out <laughs> well we have the full season now did boba live up to expectations for you now, it definitely didn't live up to expectations, but I, in the initial review, I, I also said that I didn't have high expectations. Um, and I think that's... Well, that, that ain't good who, then. <laughs> right. Like, if you just reckon with like the Boba Fett character coming into the show, there's not a lot there. He's a guy that's popular because he looks cool. He looks yeah. cool in the 70s, and that's why we like Boba Fett. That's really all it is. And in the meantime... Uh, you know books and comics aside in the meantime the mandalorian season one is effectively what a boba fett show would have been so and there's a lot everyone has a lot of a bigger relationship with um din and grogu obviously so now to get a boba fett show in some form even though he's not really boba fett the bounty hunter anymore just kind of weird a weird way to try and thread the needle here from filoni and favreau so 
yeah, I think it's a show that definitely was quite up and down. I still enjoyed it overall, but um, yeah, I mean, it has, it has some clear fault uh, flaws just from the basic like storytelling. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say, and I don't want to harp on this too much, but Tamara Morrison for me just leaves a lot to be desired as an actor and um, you know, giving him these like, like the monologue with uh, <laughs> you know, like when he wrote out at the end, his offer um, to Cad Bane, you know, yeah, to, right. Uh, and it was like this really long winded wordy thing. It was like, Boba Fett, like, was known for saying like three words as, as like yeah. every response. Like, where's no good this to me, from? dad? Yeah, totally. Like didn't make any sense. I also think like, <laughs> and this is partially my own fault, but some of the things that I was looking forward to was really diving into like the criminal world of Tatooine yeah. and the star Wars world. And they really like hedged on that, right. Where they were like, here, here's the, you know, the, the casino or the club place. And, you know, we kind of stop in every once in a while. That was some of the most like interesting moments, like seeing what was going on there, seeing uh black Cranston, just like yeah. chilling out, arms yeah. off. Yeah. Chris Anton. I know I'm calling back to the midnight boys there. Um, but <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I just feel like they, they had so much potential to explore things and they kind of made it like a straight down the middle star Wars. Like, I don't know. I don't even know if it's like really a, character story when the two best episodes of the season ended up not being about the title character yeah no i think that's exactly right uh it's not really a crime story boba fett's no longer a bounty hunter he's a crime lord inheriting java the hutt's palace and his subsequent territory and responsibilities but it's not really a crime story either there's there's kind of like filmmaking nods to like god the godfather and other like you know like mob convention and stuff but it have, nothing really amounts to like you know the other you know, the the Trandoshans and the the Qualish families and and like Mos Espa and stuff like it doesn't doesn't really come together. They just don't really do that. And I think honestly, if we removed those two best episodes and we didn't have Din and Grogu and also like Ahsoka show up here and we actually gave Boba Fett more time, I think that story would definitely have been improved. Now. I think a lot of people still really liked, obviously, what we got with Din and Grogu. So, you know, mixed bag season with some like credible highs, I guess we'll take it. But yeah, like storytelling wise, they kind of just, like you said, they hedged. And uh, I thought the Tuscan stuff ended kind of abruptly. I was super into that uh, in the early going, you know, learning more about that culture and the, the potential of just seeing like the Tatooine world more colored in you know if we're going to go back to such a familiar locale like Tatooine please tell us something new and they started to do that and they they kind of stopped honestly but hey we're going back to Tatooine once again in May with Obi-Wan Kenobi so who knows uh well maybe we'll learn something then yeah you know I think one of the moments in the finale that summarized the lack of like I don't know if it's storytelling vision or uh cohesiveness but when mando you know points out to boba like they made the smart call by not following through on the deal to not turn on you you know like you asking them not to act like they made the smart Mm -hmm. call by acting on it and he's like they did and it's like are you fucking kidding me like he knew that this was like the the play that he's going with and it's not even a good play and he's just like i was really hoping that this was going to work out and it's like Mm -hmm. 
ah, it, it just felt like like they were just doing stuff to kind of like bring characters in and bring these moments in and none of it ever really felt all that earned and then uh, like i just also think about the scooter bike kids who yes, man that, that was that was fucking rough like not only were those things looking super slow but it just felt so out of place with the rest of the show and like what's going on in Tatooine. I just was like, ah, uh, that yeah. I, I really disliked that stuff. And I want to get through this because I do want to get to the Grogu, uh, uh-huh. Ahsoka, Luke stuff and the Mando stuff for uh, after this, but just kind of getting right. the, the downfalls of the show out of the way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the end there in the finale, you have like the, uh, the head female mod girl and the Moss Pelgo uh, sniper girl going to chill and be marksman on the roof but it's like you don't have a connection with either of those characters you don't all. even know their name <laughs> no and like like yeah cool to bring in moss pelgo cool cool to bring in uh cob vanth again sure i mean you already have a connection to cob vanth of course having he had the armor in mando right makes sense but like you're just kind of like setting all this stuff up and you're not really like doing the work in like a in a satisfying way like like it, it like works like you know quote unquote but like it's not like super high level it's just kind of kind of odd you know and like i think that the the mod kids kind of reflective of that like they realized they had some kind of hole in their script here and they just came up with something kind of lackluster kind of obvious yeah uh well so you mentioned um Kavith and I, I found some of the stuff with him to be pretty interesting because you get Cad Bane introduced into the story. Yep, and huge. I, I got to say, I, as someone that does not know the Star Wars uh, yep. animated Wars. series as well as you do, seeing him, I just was like, I don't know who this character is, but he's fucking awesome. And he was such a badass on screen immediately. The slowest walk in the world, but just so menacing. And for having maybe like 10 minutes of screen time total in the season, definitely uh, the Dion Waiters award for me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as someone that's more familiar with his history, what was it like for you to see him come on screen? Yeah, honestly, a huge moment. So like coming into this show, there's a lot of, you know, theorizing about like what kind of lore stuff is going to happen. Are we going to get Kira and uh, Crimson Dawn, you know, from Solo? Uh, something more recognizable like Black Sun. You know, we got the Pike Syndicate, something that we've seen before, for example. Um, the the uh, potential for Cad Bane was certainly like on the table. I think people had thought about that, but to actually see him uh, come out was like so mind blowing. And like as soon as I like as soon as I saw the figure in the distance, I knew who it was right away. Like my mouth actually opened. I was like, oh my god, they're actually doing Cad Bane in live action. It looked really good. You still had Corey Burton from the show voicing him. Sounded good. Uh, and I think that was a really cool moment, definitely setting up, I think, the fu- the future for more of these kind of introductions from Star Wars past. I mean, Black Kersantan, huge comics figure, but definitely a deep cut for most people. But I wouldn't be surprised to see other Clone Wars people like Hondo Anaka or uh, Embo uh, come in in the future in one show or the next. So to actually see them pull off Cad Bane, I think it actually lands super well. Uh, really cool you know i think it's definitely up in the air whether he's actually good and dead not really sure uh better not be man 
I hope not, because he was still at the peak of his powers, and which which was, uh, at, you know, at the time he was the best bounty hunter in the land when Boba Fett was a kid. So there's a lot of like synergy there, and I feel like they kind of le- left it on the table. If this is truly all you're going to get between Boba Fett and Cad Bane, but uh, I still still left a huge impression. Yeah, no, I I thought he was amazing. I I gotta say, I don't think he's that. If you hear that beeping, that's just. Uh definitely a sign that something's going to save him and i think they're gonna quickly find out that he was very popular in the show and they're gonna capitalize off that in some way um all right so obviously i think the episodes that people were most talking about this season were episodes five and six where you get the reintroduction of mando uh in in five and a lot of mandalorian lore brought into that episode and then Episode six, where you get to see Grogu with Luke on uh, what's the name of that planet? I don't even remember. Uh, uh, it was unnamed. I believe it's a new unnamed. Place. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, Luke's making his uh, trying to make his Jedi school, and Ahsoka shows up. Mando's yes. there. It's that that episode was mind blowing. But let's start with five. Uh, the Mandalorian stuff. Where, where is? How does it land for you? Are you into the whole like lore and like do you, do you follow the strict sense or the more yeah. liberal sense? Right. Yeah, so I'm into it just because it's, it's something that's been built up for so long when you think back to the cartoons, the Mandal- Mandalorians, Mandalore, the planet itself, the whole culture, huge aspect of Clone Wars and Rebels. So seeing like this kind of side of it that we've been introduced to in the Mandalorian, nam- namely these, um, uh, I forgot the name of their order, but they're like zealots, basically. You know, this is the way, the way, keeping your helmets on a lot of shit, right? I really like seeing this because it makes star wars feel lived in and like detailed and stuff it's really cool i'm on top of that you have the continuing this you know lineage with the dark saber i really like how the dark saber is challenging to wield and uh kind of like heavy and slow very reminiscent of lightsaber combat in the original trilogy for example so i like all that stuff you know the armor character the um the Vizsla guy who he fights like I hope to see more of them I would not be shocked to see us go to Mandalore maybe in the Ahsoka show who knows like I, things are happening Sabine a Mandalorian character was cast in Ahsoka so I'm, I think we're headed that way um but just just whenever like Din is kind of interacting with that and just like being all Mandalorian ass you know it's I think it's just really cool because um, it, it's it's lore that's been like developed uh, for a while now, so just seeing more of it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I I really agree with the point of like Star Wars is a lived in universe. When you see people who are taking basically a religion and like utilizing it in all different ways, and like how do you utilize this mindset and these beliefs and these rituals and kind of fit that into your beliefs and what you feel is actually right um definitely love that aspect of the story and I, yeah i thought the fight with uh between uh mando and the the huge mandalorian guy yeah it was really really fun to watch um and then ep- uh, episode six <sighs> dude i i don't know how they do it but grogu gets cuter every single fucking <laughs> time like he is the cutest like creature probably it, it just in, in the universe at this point and uh seeing him uh, very reminiscent of Luke with Yoda, but the roles reversed. Uh, training with Master Luke, 
uh, seeing the flashback to Grogu on Coruscant, you know, yes. seeing uh, Order 66 going down, I just was, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and I gotta say, the whole Mando with Ahsoka, you know, kind of explaining what Luke's doing with Grogu and then Luke giving him the choice. I, I thought that that episode was just phenomenal. And uh, then, then you see who directed. It's like Dave Filoni. You know that you're getting some heavy hitting shit from him now. So yeah. uh, what was your reaction to episode six? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, just from the job watching those like uh, spidery droids build the build the Jedi yeah. Praxium, build the temple, the Luke's temple. Amazing. That we, you obviously recognize from the sequel trilogy, uh, Kylo Ren will destroy this place one day, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> and at the end too, like I remember talking to people after the episode come out. Oh, what's he going to choose? Is he going to choose the lightsaber? It's like, he is clearly not choosing the lightsaber. <laughs> I thought that was the most obvious thing in the world, you know, <laughs> because they are not having Grogu chill with Luke for no. uh, twenty years or whatever it takes until Kylo kills everyone. Like obviously that's not happening, right? But in the interim, you get uh, you get what the last Jedi haters always wanted. Luke being his master self at the peak of his powers. But it's still pretty darn cool when you do see it, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Um, I I would like them to uh, deeply consider recasting Luke, uh, young Luke, if they're going to do more of this, because visually, I thought the face looked pretty good, but you can tell that they're like picking their spots with how they're using Luke in terms of how he speaks and all that stuff. On the other hand, maybe just don't use an AI voice. Like, uh, you know, it seemed very choppy. Yeah, it was it was a little weird. Um, But it's it's uh, effective for what it's going for. Obviously, just really cool. And having Ahsoka be there and having just seeing Luke and Ahsoka interact uh, as a friend of the family. It's like fuck, fuck, dude. Like I now we're not. I doubt we see Ahsoka in Mandalorian season three. I think we're probably going to wait until her her show comes out next year before we see her again. That's what I would bet on. But um, just her kind of being there, like kind of being cryptic and stuff, and like talking to Luke a little bit, I thought was really, really big for people that have seen the Clone Wars, for example, you know. Um, but uh, having Grogu, I think, uh, be a little developed now in his abilities, yes. I think, goes a long way. It feels earned. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, though, having Luke kind of force lift him along to move him around. Mm-hmm. Fucking hilarious. Fucking awesome. So yeah. many little moments, I think, in that episode. Yeah, really totally. I, I got to say, um, ha- like when Luke says it's more like he's remembering than I'm actually teaching him, I thought was a really like strong piece to like pull in because we, you, you see Grogu using the force in such powerful ways throughout the first two seasons and then even in the finale here. And you're like, you know, he, he could be the most powerful force being in the galaxy, you know, beyond yeah. after Luke passes. Uh, and, and knowing that he, he didn't just like have this power that he was in training, that he, you know, being a 50 year old, still a baby, but, you know, uh, someone that has some experience, I think adds a little bit to that. And yeah, seeing his like pain, you know, like having Luke tap into that Order 66 memory. I wonder if we'll ever get more of that memory, which they're thinking be, about it. They're definitely yeah. thinking about it, which, man, there's so much to dig into there. But I know. Um, really, really exciting stuff. Love this episode. And yeah, the way it left. I mean, I, you're right. I think the, the choice seems pretty obvious. 
Um, but I got to say, it really does leave you with a, a lurch in your stomach when it's like, I just want him to have the best car chainmail shirt and the lightsaber. Just give me Yoda's lightsaber. I think eventually he'll probably get it, is my guess. But uh, I don't know. Um, also, Luke Skywalker, worst babysitter in the world, just sends him with R2 across the galaxy to Tatooine. R2 uh, is pretty competent, though, to be fair. <laughs> Grogu is like the most wanted being in the galaxy at this point. The whole entire empire is out to get him. And Luke knows right. this. Just a- absolutely. Uh, I, you know that Luke was pissed when he chose the. Well, you know, the, 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 the Imperial Remnant's pretty weak at this point. So in the far reaches Luke of just... space, one X-Wing, eh, you can manage. <laughs> um. And then, and then thoughts on the, the finale real quick. I mean, we talked about some of the, the shortcomings of the show in general. I thought the finale was pretty satisfying. You, know, you get the, the Rancor, the rank, Rancor, Rancor moment. Yeah, um, Rancor looked really good. I, I thought that was really, really well done with like the monster movie like yeah. setting. I, I do have to say, I feel like they made Mando, I don't know, almost like incompetent in ways in this finale. Like when he tries to like ride the rank, Rancor and certainly like, he shouldn't have been able to ride it, but like he like doesn't understand at all, like how that works. And then also like uh, Boba Fett, like gets all the cool moments pretty much, except for like Mando, like basically meeting back up with Grogu. I guess there's also Mm -hmm. a moment where he does use the, the dark saber to like cut that robot apart, but then it like throws him around. I don't know. I was Mm -hmm. just like, it, it just seemed like they kind of doled him down to make Mando or uh, Boba Fett seem cooler by the end. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't mind it. You know, again, you have to kind of like accept like okay, yeah, there is no other uh, shooter drop. We're we're just dealing with right. the bikes. Like you have to kind of just accept that. Um, it really interesting choice to just send Fennec away for pretty much the whole episode. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> in in general, her and Tamara Morrison uh, in mm-hmm. the present day timeline specifically don't really get up to too much if you really think about it. And again, that, that could have been alleviated if we didn't have the Mandu and Grogu stuff. But alas, it seems like the Favreau, Filoni, Star Wars verse, the Mando verse, if you will, going to be a little more connected than people might have thought. So it is what it is. Well, we'll uh, I guess um, we'll, it'll be really telling what, who is, in fact, in um, the Obi-Wan show. There's going to be Clone Wars connections via the inquis- Inquisitors already. We know this, but like, I mean, I, I I really hope Ahsoka doesn't show up, for example. But like, yeah, Boba Fett, I, I you know, it's kind of like bonus material to me. It was not a show we had ever been thinking about. It was literally like secretly announced at the end of Mando season two, after all. So for what it was, you know, it, it, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's certainly no Falcon in the Winter Soldier. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, excited for obi-wan to come out uh we'll be talking about that when it drops do you think we get a boba fett season two it's a great question because there's i i don't know if we necessarily get a season two but there's a lot of things that seem will seemingly come back into play right you have Cobb vanth hanging around you have boba fett you have fennec shan you have potentially cad bane you have black chrysanthemum mm-hmm. they've introduced a lot of pieces that maybe will you know, pop up in a different series, you know, MCU style. Maybe that's where we're headed. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know how much we need of Boba Fett moving forward. 
you know, as non bounty hunter Boba Fett, we 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 kind of don't need him. We have Mandalorian now, so I'll be I'll be happy. I'll, I'll be content if we don't get another one. Same here. Um, I'm hoping we don't, but Star Wars, you never know. Anyways, let's uh, let's move on to the big screen where Death on the Nile finally came out. I mean, this was supposed to was this supposed to drop last year, I believe. Um, it got moved. Its date was moved several times. Yeah, due to COVID and also the Army Hammer stuff, assumingly. Um, This has been in the can anyway for for quite a long while. This was shot before the pandemic. Yeah, looks like it was originally set to be released uh, December 20th, 2019. (laughs) So it got rescheduled to October because of some production issues, October 2020. And then, as we all know, COVID just pushed everything back. So this has been been coming for a while. Um, I think uh, this is known to be or uh, this is a book this is at least something i was aware of was adapted from a book yeah. um and uh you know stellar cast with this you, you got a lot of up-and-coming actors as well as some really established people kenneth branagh um and gal gadot i think are probably the the two big headliners you also mentioned army hammer already um and then you have a, a couple of other people, Letitia Wright. Uh, you get Russell Brand in a very yeah. toned down uh, role. A you surprise, know, if you ask me. I didn't know I we didn't realized it was him. him at first. Uh, yeah. Kind of crazy. Um, Emma Mackey. Yeah. Uh, which, first big uh, sex education, uh, non-sex education role. Great look for her. So And that betting as well. The, I think there's a lot of pieces here to look and say this movie should be pretty good. Did you feel like those pieces ended up in a good movie? Yeah, you know, overall, I I enjoyed myself. You know, I like this one more than Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express remake from 2017. That one, I thought, just didn't quite add enough to this that story. To felt a little inert watching it. That one also has a stellar cast. That's probably the most famous Agatha Christie mystery, but uh. To see Death on the Nile, and I haven't seen the 1978 one, which is very well liked. But to to get this one, I think the the Who Done It is still uh, it's still really fun. I think at the end of the day, that's just a really bankable, you know, film uh, scenario, film setup. The Who Done It, the mystery, and you can tell Kenneth Branagh really likes being Hercule Poirot, Poirot, as he's done now in two movies. I think the movie Death on the Nile remake starts a little slow, but once you actually build up to like Poirot actually solving the crime as it will and having more crimes happen and all that stuff, I think that stuff's really, uh, really propulsive and fun. You know, um, visually, I think this movie's a little up and down. It was not really, sh- it was not shot uh, in, uh, in Egypt the way the 78 yeah. movie was, but um, I, I still enjoyed it. Uh, Definitely interesting to grapple with this, given what's happened with Army Hammer. This is definitely his last role for the foreseeable future, anyway. And his character that he's playing, uh, you know, his character built up for his uh, sexual prowess and his attractiveness and stuff. It's like kind of challenging to reckon with Army Hammer playing a character like that, given what's happened in his personal life, obviously. So despite all that, I still quite enjoyed it. I thought Emma Mackey definitely made the most of her first like big 
non-Netflix role. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I also want to mention um, this is one of the first like big, uh, I guess, bigger roles for uh, Rose Leslie, who you'd know as Egret from Game of right. Thrones. But um, yeah, you know, the I didn't love this movie. I, I do agree. I think the second half is a lot more propulsive and um, interesting than the first half. Uh, I think I, I'm kind of left with uh, I, certainly the Army Hammer stuff was a little challenging in points, but I also just don't know if I like Gal Gadot as an actress. Um, She's I, I definitely like not she, too good in this movie, to be clear. Yeah, and uh, I feel like she's kind of played pretty one note a lot. You know, I think the last time we saw her was what Red Red Notice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that movie, you know, she's pretty one note. I guess maybe a little more like silly and fun in that movie than she gets to be in this one. But it as like a big headliner, it's like, man, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if she has the, the, a lot of range. Um, it, I do think when you start to get, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh one on one with people or, you know, him and Tom Bateman and like Russell Brand or Ali Faisal or something like that, then it starts to get a little bit more like interesting. And um I, I do not, not having seen the original and not knowing the story. I, I was a little disappointed that I figured out at the end, like what was going on. And yeah. I, I felt like that was, a, you know, not that um, it wasn't very surprising, the twist, but overall um, I, I thought it, the second half was pretty enjoyable. So, you know, to take it for what it is, it's a movie that's been delayed a lot. Finally kind of came out with a lot of problems mm-hmm. around it. So I think you can do worse. And this made, I think, like, what, 30 million or something like that? The box uh, worldwide, yeah, like 12 million domestic. So the, the, the Murder on Orient Express from Branna was a kind of a surprise hit, honestly. I think in a if, if the Death on the Nile had actually come out as intended only two years after Murder on the Orient Express and come out, you know, pre-pandemic, I think it would have been a lot more successful than it's probably going to end up being, um, you know, in the process, this is now also coming out post uh, knives out, you know, knives out just really raised the bar for, for whodunit mystery movies. And we're hoping Ryan Johnson can continue that with knives out too later this year on Netflix. But, um, you know, still, I think, I think for, for, for what it is, you know, kind of more of a throwback style adult film, you know, I, I, I thought it was more good than bad. But yeah, there, there, there's some things to pick 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 out, no question. Any any moments or scenes or performances that you particularly liked or want to shout out? Yeah, I definitely liked um, a lot of like those interrogation scenes, as you cited. And once like more people start to die, I think like the plot like really picks up, and it, it it's it's funny to think about how slow the movie starts again with like a cold open about Poirot as a young man and the origin of his mustache. It's like, yeah, huh. Didn't necessarily see that one coming, but mm-hmm. once we like really like get on that boat and stuff and like, it's like super lavish, but also like, it's kind of like that classic trope of just getting everyone in one place. And then something happens like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I like it. Like Emma, Emma Mackey starts to get like really unhinged by the end. I quite enjoyed that. And I think just watching Poirot figure everything out um, and then tell everyone at the end when they're all gathered in one place, like that stuff always is really fun. 
Yeah, and, you know, we, we mentioned it before. I, I think the performance I was most surprised by was Russell Brand, much more toned down with a yeah. you know, beard, long hair. And uh, the moment I recognized him, I just was so shocked because he really it just was so off character for him in a good way. And it was nice to think maybe he has a, maybe he has a potential career in acting beyond being like the silly front man of like the comedies. So yeah, uh, definitely liked that. Some stuff not to like, but I, I still recommend it. There's, there's worse ways to spend two hours. I'd say so. Um, Dave, I think a better way to spend an hour and a half would be watching Steven Soderbergh's newest movie. Kimmy which just dropped on HBO Max this mm-hmm. past week. Soderbergh's working, man. He never stops. That's what he does. Yeah. Since his uh, hiatus uh, ended, you're right. He does not stop. This is the third film in his three-film deal for HBO Max, which in turn follows the two movies he had made for Netflix before that and the two other movies he had made after hiatus ended, you know, unsane and little and lucky. So he, he's been fucking working and honestly should really be celebrated for making kind of like the, that, like mid-level adult film, adult drama that is becoming rarer and rarer in the uh, film going uh, marketplace these days. So Edelberg is really holding it down for, uh, yeah. you know, non-franchise, non-horror, non-comedy storytelling. So, would I have liked to see these movies in a theater? Yes, but I'm not going to complain that they exist. And I think he's he's doing a really good job. And Kimmy, definitely a movie that I actually didn't really know anything about it going in. I had kind of avoided like the lock lines and stuff. We knew about it when No Sudden Move came out, but that was about it. Like we just knew his next movie has Zoe Kravitz and it. it's called Kimmy. That's kind of all we knew about it. And since then, I just avoided it. It's like, oh, it's going to come out and I'll watch it. And, uh, definitely uh i think an effective movie that uh nails what it's going for and uh i would definitely recommend it yeah i would i I thought this was great um you know it's it's a pretty straightforward thriller i'd say but i Mm -hmm. I think this is one of the first movies that really acknowledges covid as like a important piece to the plot you know zoe kravitz plays angela this who works for um this company, I forgot the name of the company. What is it? It's uh, Amygdala, right? Amygdala, and they Amygdala is like Amazon created uh, one of those voice uh, activated computers, yes. in your Alexa, home. Siri type thing. Exactly called Kimmy, and what sets them apart is that they have uh, humans who a- analyze the the vocal cues and try to make it smarter and, and better. And uh, Angela is dealing with agoraphobia, anxiety, trauma from uh, past sexual assault. And all this has been exacerbated by COVID. So she hasn't even really left her house or her apartment in probably two years uh, when this movie's taking place. Um, the only real contact she has is with uh, the guy across the way who she's hooking up with, played by Byron Bowers, his name is Terry. And so you, you see her dealing with these mental health issues um, that are exacerbated by COVID. And I thought that was pretty refreshing to see. And I thought it made a lot of sense for how the the movie goes. I mean, in the end, if, if you didn't have COVID and I think you still could have had the same plot, but it was like a interesting touch. Um, and I, I thought the way the plot moves forward where Angela 
um, you know, in reviewing some of these vocal cues, here's a uh, assault and a murder happen mm-hmm. and tries to go about, you know, getting this uh, to the authorities and the company covering it up and kind of all the, the shenanigans from there. Really well done and just like a really propulsive movie. Uh, really, uh, I thought, uh, captivating in the realness of it you know Angela never really I guess at the end she kind of has her like Rambo moment so to speak but up until the very end it's all it all feels very realistic in a lot of ways so uh, I really liked Kimmy um wondering for you did you feel like this is like Zoe Kravitz's best like movie Mm -hmm. performance definitely her best in some time Uh, I think she was pretty cool in Gemini that like neo-noir movie from a few years back that was kind of under the radar mm, but yeah, yeah and TBD on um, you know playing Selena Kyle in the Batman in a few weeks but you know like it wasn't like we loved her in Fantastic Beasts or anything right it's kind of been a little bit for her um probably this is I say this is her best role since uh High Fidelity the Hulu series yes TV side of things 100% so uh I think she's a you know really kind of central component to Kimmy as a film working because she's in basically every scene and kind of underrated like physical performance from her kind of running around and also kind of being tense and stuff all the time and and every, all the ticks that a character like her has. So yeah, I think uh, Zoe definitely definitely brings it and does a really good job with this movie. Um, that was that was kind of a hang up for me in the early going though because I'll be honest like being with an agoraphobic person for a long stretch of time before the plot kind of picks up. It's like a bit of a tough hang, as you can imagine, you know, not, not the most fun person uh, to spend some time with, but once the thriller starts to unfold and I agree with what you said before, definitely straightforward, doesn't really surprise you in any one area for the most part. Um, I guess the, like the protest, like, uh, uh, savior status thing that kind of happened spontaneously i guess that was pretty cool but other than that like wh- where where it goes what it tries to say and how it ends more or less what you expect to happen yeah but it's still done really well and Zoe's really good in it so uh, it's tough to really you know pick any nits yeah it's uh, uh one of the aspects i actually really liked is how the like bad guy like uh, eye in the sky tech company that's able to follow her and kind of like the moves and the counter moves of it all like how she turns her phone off at one point and so the guy's like how are you gonna find her now so he goes like google search and found out like what her last like location google search was like i thought that was like really smart stuff and um i also really liked um annette uh, is it annette benning i'm trying to remember uh sorry no annette benning was in death on now rita wilson i really like the scene between Zoe Kravitz and Rita Wilson, where Rita Wilson is like, no, we definitely believe you, but like, <laughs> you know, right. we need to hear it right now. And like playing that, like obviously working for the company, trying to like quiet uh, Angela person um, higher up is, I thought it was really well done. So just some really like cool moments. I even liked the ending scene. I feel like Soderbergh has this real knack for like making these like pseudo realistic like ending action scenes like you think back to um last year's like no sudden move and like some of the scenes in that feel like outlandish but still like kind of set in realism in ways he he does that really well in my opinion so um lots to enjoy if you like Soderbergh 
I don't know. Not really much more. I feel like I could say about it. Uh, no, I, I agree. You know, I mean, I think just the whole last run of things he, he's done, they've all had something to say one way or another, even if most of them are, you know, relatively modest. Uh, Kimmy, no sudden move. Let them all talk. High flying bird. I guess the laundromat I didn't really like that one too much, but the rest of them, I thought, yeah, he's been not only churning them out quickly, but he's not really losing anything in the quality department. Uh, I think it's, this is the last film in that initial HBO max deal. There's no film currently in development from him. I'm sure there's stuff he's working on, but there might actually be a a bit of a a break for him, which uh, he certainly earned. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one last note, and I was wondering if you caught this. Angela, while riding her Peloton, great song choice with uh, Oxy, Oxy, no, Oxytocin. Oxytocin, jeez. Yeah, I was like, Dave's going to love that that music drop. So, um, And then Sabotage at the end by the Beastie Boys. Always good to get Sabotage in your movie. Um, all right, Dave, I think that wraps it up here for this week. What do we got for next? Yeah, a lot of cool stuff here. Uh <laughs> Peacemaker, wrapping up already. HBO Max, John Cena. Uh, the worst person in the world. Finally, like, expanding in theaters. Best international film nominee at the Oscars this year. Very excited to finally see that. Uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season four. The first two episodes are dropping on Prime. They're actually doing a two episodes a week thing for the first time with that show instead of doing it all at once, which I'm happy about. And we also have uh, Tom Holland's video game movie uncharted uh we'll see we'll see what's up with that one uh so subscribe youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and nostalgia on spotify we'll uh we'll catch you next week yeah.